0: Thank you for being here this morning for worship and for the study of God's Word. It's what we're going to be talking about today. If, if you were with us last Sunday, we've begun a series entitled Sound Doctrine. And we talked about last week how sound doctrine is for life. And we used the illustration to begin this that uh, of a concert master. And how the concert master, the Holy Spirit in our lives, takes the music... And uses it as the conductor would please. Teaches us how to dictate, teaches us how to read and interpret and move with it. And what we're going to be talking about today is that sound doctrine, this, that we believe is for reading and teaching. Sound doctrine is important in our own study of the word. Sure, the Bible has the classics that most Christians have heard since they were young. David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, Jesus healing the blind man. But within the pages of Scripture are many stories that are rather obscure, dramatic, and just plain bizarre. I want to tell you some stories right now that maybe your Sunday school teacher winced at and didn't teach you. First, when a long sermon turned deadly. See, what had happened was, was Paul was preaching in Troas, and a teenager named Eutychus decided it would be a great idea to sit on the seal of an open third-story window. Once the sermon ran long, Eutychus fell asleep, and he fell out of the window. This is in the Bible. Breaking his neck and dying. And before his family could even start planning the funeral, Paul raised him to life again. Because it's bad for preachers when people die while they're preaching. It's a cautionary tale about staying awake in church. I wanted to start with that one. Next was the construction site miracle. What happened? Elisha and his band of friends were chopping down trees to build a house. When one of them, his axe broke and it sank in the nearby Jordan River. One of the men shouted the ancient equivalent of, Oh no, that wasn't even mine. I borrowed it. And so Elisha simply grabbed a stick and threw it in the water and the axe head floated. Don't know how, don't know why other than to show that God cares about the little things. You know, another story that I love is about the worst hair day ever. What happened was King David's pretty boy of a son staged a coup and drove his father out of Jerusalem. The reason we say pretty boy is because he had lovely locks of hair. And even according to Samuel chapter 14, they would actually weigh these locks of hair whenever he would get his yearly hair cut. Well, later when David had gathered his loyal supporters to take the kingdom back, Absalom, his son, fled the battle on his horse until his long hair got tangled in a tree and left him hanging there until he was captured. You probably never heard that story, have you? Maybe the time when uh, they plotted to kill a guy who had already died. What happened? Well, most Christians know that Jesus was number one on the Pharisees' hit list of Israel's most wanted, but did you know who number two was? It was Lazarus, because dead men do talk. After Jesus raised him from the dead, Lazarus became a local celebrity, telling people about Jesus' miraculous power over life and death. The religious leaders couldn't have that, so they schemed to kill him too or to re-kill him, or have him dead once more, however you want to put it. Maybe one of your favorite stories comes from the Old Testament. This is one of my favorite. I used to tell this as a student minister all the time. Nate, you can use this one too. It was when teens got mauled by bears. That's in the Bible. Parents, you can use this. See, Elisha the prophet was traveling, going about his message from God business when a gang of teenagers surrounded him and started harassing him, yelling insults and calling him baldy because he didn't have any hair. (laughs) Proving that the Lord doesn't take mockery lightly, he answered Elisha's prayer for justice with two angry bears who attacked the group and mauled over 40 of the young men. What about the time that a man talked to a donkey and the donkey talked back? That's in the Bible. The Israelites were marching to the promised land, conquering cities and winning battles, and the Moabite king got nervous. So he summoned a guy named Balaam to come and put a curse on the Israelites. Balaam started to leave for his curse-making assignment, but his donkey started acting really strange. First running away, then smashing his leg against the canyon, and finally talking. If a donkey talks, you should listen. You guys can laugh. That's okay. It's promise. He told Balaam, basically, quit beating me up. If your donkey talks and tell you to quit beating him up, quit beating him up. But these things are in the Bible. These stories, these intricate things that... Find their way in between all of the great things that we paint on walls of nurseries and put in children's books about Jesus. And the reality is is that we miss so much of God's teaching by just skimming over the Word of God. The Word of God is full of stories. It's full of poetry and it's full of wonder. It is interesting to note that we miss tons of that. By simply not reading our Bible. I want to give you some statistics real quick. About a third of Americans, 35% to be exact, say they read Scripture at least once a week. While 45% seldom or never read Scripture, according to a 2014 data from the Religious Landscape Study by the Pew Research Center. They go on to submit that three-quarters of Christians, that 75% say they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Let me tell you that on the other end of that, there are 25% of professing Christians, those who would say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, 25% of them that do not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Christians who make up a majority of U.S. adults, 71% to be exact, are divided over how to interpret the Bible. While about four in ten Christians, 39%, say the Bible's text is the Word of God and should be taken literally, 36% say it should not be interpreted literally or express any other opinion. A separate 18% of Christians view the Bible as a book written by men and not inspired of God in 2014 about four in ten Christians 42 percent said reading the Bible or other religious materials is an essential part of being Christian and what it means to be Christian only 42 percent said that that was essential an additional 37 percent say reading the Bible is important but it's not essential to being a Christian, and 21% say reading the Bible is not an important part of their Christian identity. Seven in ten Americans, 71%, know the Bible teaches that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A similar share know that Moses was the biblical figure who led the Exodus from Egypt, and 63% could identify Genesis as the first book of the Bible. But fewer than half of adults, 45% could name all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And only four in ten identified Job as the biblical figure known for remaining obedient to God despite extraordinary suffering. Regarding other religious texts, four in ten Americans, let me just hold these up. Only 45% could name all four Gospels. Only 40%, 39%, knew who Job was. But, 4 in 10 Americans, 40% knew that Jesus appeared to followers in the Americas according to the Book of Mormon. And 54% correctly named the Koran as the Book of Islam. I want to throw another statistic out there that makes me angry more than anything. When researching this, they did it by What people professed. So you have Christians, you have Protestants, you have white evangelicals, white mainline, black Protestant, Catholic, white Catholic, Hispanic, Catholic, Mormons, Jewish, atheist and agnostic. And then those that would say they don't believe in anything specific. And when asked questions about the Bible, like what is the first book in the Bible? atheist more atheists knew what it was than Christians did when asked who moses was who abraham was and who job was more atheists knew who they were than Christians when asked about the birthplace of jesus they tied Luckily for us, I guess, when asked to name the four Gospels, we beat the Atheist by 6%. Now more than ever, it is time for the people of God to return to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, take and turn to 2 Timothy with me. It is no accident that we have the Bible It has purpose and it has meaning and it has relevance. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Whether you have it in hard copy or on your phone, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. But understand this. For among them those, there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. I want to skip down to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for profitable for reproof, profitable for correction, and profitable for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, God, we want to dive into your word this morning and allow it to teach us. We want to read it and see the majesty of who you are in your word. God, may you challenge us with our own belief about it. May you let us see, open our eyes to the great thing that we have in your word. May your words come forth. May you speak to our hearts. and It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? Both personally and corporate, the reading and teaching of God's Word is centered on our understanding of it. It is centered upon how we receive it. We are going to talk through some points about what Scripture is, about its application in our life. But I want you to know that above all, the greatest challenge today is are you reading it? Are you experiencing the life-changing effects of the Word of God in your life? And if not, I would challenge you today, change that. If you have your bulletin, there are points there on the back. You can fill in the blanks as we go on. The first thing that we must understand about Scripture, about the Holy Bible, the inspired, infallible, inerrant, infinite Word of God, is that it is revelation. The Bible is revelation. First, it is inspired. The word inspired means of extraordinary quality, as if arising from some external creative impulse. So when you hear somebody say the inspired word of God, it does not mean that somebody just within themselves decided, I'm going to write something down about God. It means that there was something external that would tell them, that would instruct them, that would inspire and impassion them to write these words. I believe that the Bible is inspired. Verse 16, For all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the greatest tenet of our faith. Without believing the divine inspiration of Scripture, we fall very short on a host of other subjects with nothing of authority or objectivity to fall back on. You see, the biggest struggle with those that would seek to disqualify the Bible is that the Bible is objective. It was not subjective to man's inclination, nor to man's interpretation. It was God-breathed, as the ESV says it. The Greek word, they often, knew, they often knew Stos, Paul is literally writing that all Scripture is God-inspired. It is objective with intent and purpose and an absoluteness to it. It's not subjective. It is inspired by God. If God did not command the writing of these things, then what authority do you and I have? To believe them. To apply them. To communicate with others about them. If this not be God inspired, it is just another great literary work that has no eternal and lasting value in my life and yours. And yet... We approach it as if it was just that, a literary work, a book that we put up or pick up and put down as we please, a book that for a moment we read and then turn away, a book that sits on the shelf with the others, no great importance, it is inspired, second, is in, it is inerrant and infallible. The Bible is revelation, and that being the case, we must understand from whom it came, God. And we must understand the righteousness and the holiness of God. The Bible is inerrant and infallible. Both of those words mean that it is incapable of being wrong. Incapable of being wrong. Being inspired by God, it then takes on His holiness and His righteousness It was not written incorrectly. It was not constructed incorrectly. And it cannot be proven incorrect. The the Bible, the Bible is right. We must understand that. We must understand that there is a righteousness within the text itself. We know that it is inerrant and infallible. It's also infinite. Limitless or endless. In space, extent, or size. Impossible to measure. Impossible to calculate. We know this by Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but what? The Word of the Lord will endure forever. The Word of God will stand forever. It's not only timeless, but it's big. It encompasses the beginning and the end. It's expansive. It encompasses not only the life physical that you and I see, but the life Spiritual and eternal that we don't. It's not only big, but it's overwhelming sometimes. Have you ever just been enamored in Scripture and stepped away overwhelmed at the amazingness of it? That is the impact that when we sit down and read God's Word, that is the impact in our lives. I am excited every time I get to open God's word because I know that when I step away from it. That something will have happened. When I pick up a history book and read it. It is very rare that I step away and am greatly inspired and moved and changed. It's rare that I pick up fiction anyways, but when I do and read it, I don't walk away from it thinking, there are many things in my life I need to do differently. But every time that we dive into God's Word, it is so infinite in our lives that it pierces and it drives to our heart, and we can be changed by it. The Bible is God's revelation to man. Second, the Bible is a story with a message. The Bible is a story with a message. The Bible, first of all, is readable. It's readable with every translation possible. It is inexcusable for one to say that the text of the Bible is not understandable. Some of you are fans of King James Version. I'm a fan too. Some of you are fans of the NIV. I'm a fan too. Some of you are fans of the New Christian Standard Bible or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I am too. Some of you are fans of the English Standard or New American Standard. I am too. You know why? Because as long as you are getting in it and you can understand what God is trying to teach and tell and communicate with you, I am a fan of it. The Bible's readable. But I don't think it is the text that so many struggle with. But I think it's the subject matter. I think it is the idea of what is in there that we struggle with. The Bible's full of stories. From Genesis clear to Revelation. Entire books of the Bible are dedicated to telling a specific story. Some of these are stories of good triumphing over evil. while others are heart-trending stories that tell of death and destruction, some stories are funny. Some are poignant, and some just make you shake your head. But what is the purpose behind all of these stories? Are they simply fairy tales? Did God supply the stories to break the monotony between genealogy and law? There's a purpose. For the wide variety of stories. Every Bible story has a purpose in our life. As would be expected of a book inspired by the great and purposeful Almighty God. The Apostle Paul tells us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That all scripture was given for those things. The many stories in the Bible are given for reason and purpose. Whether it's to encourage us in hard times or to help us learn a lesson the easy way, God has told us these stories for eternal benefit. And the best thing about it is that they are readable. It's not as if God, in inspiring this, put some huge, big thing on it where we couldn't understand it. There are things in here, I will admit, there are things in here that you and I will never comprehend. And the Bible tells us that. That there are mysteries that are still unknown. And even in eternity, if God decided to, He wouldn't have to tell us what the intricacies are of some of the things that are in here. But the Bible is readable. Don't let it be your excuse. It's readable. It's relevant. Common misconception is that the idea that the Bible is old-fashioned and only for a certain block in time. And while some prophecies and stories were specifically tailored in specific for, for, for specific people in specific times, we must understand that as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, for the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. It is relevant for my life and for yours. There are things that the Spirit can teach us. I'm going to tell you right now, there are things that I still read in David and Goliath that I find, and God speaks something new to me. I've heard that story over and over and over again. I've read it over and over and over again. And God will still take something that is so usual to us and He will show us something that will change us. It's relevant. It's for your life. It's also riveting. From front to back, it is a riveting story. Have you ever read this book? There's an exciting point to all of it. And there are climaxes and falls and triumphs and defeats. And there are love stories and there are jubilant expressions of poetry and there are sad monologues of great sorrow. (laughs) All ending. With a triumphant warrior riding on a white horse, vanquishing the dragon. And rescuing his bride. This book is riveting in its story. This book is amazing. It's better than any bestseller or blockbuster. That has ever hit the shelves or ever hit the box office. It's the word of the living God. A story of love and redemption. With greater things at stake than you and I can even imagine. Lastly, the Bible is for the redeeming work of Christ. Why do we hold the Bible and the doctrine that we find in it so valuable? Because it is for the redeeming work of Christ. As Paul was trying to communicate with Timothy here, listen, there is so much going wrong out in the world. When we began chapter 3, it sounds like a day in the New York Times. It sounds like an evening on the news. It sounds like what you and I have seen over the last two years in our country, in our world. And Paul's admission to Timothy is, listen, go back to the Word of God. Why? Because it is the redeeming work of Christ. This book was designed for redemption, inspired for the purpose of redemption. God breathed it with the intention of redemption. It's profitable for discipleship. The first thing that Paul admonishes Timothy, it's profitable for teaching. Positively, all Scripture is profitable for teaching. That's why the whole of both Testaments must be studied. Not just Romans, not just the Old Testament, not just the Gospels, but all the didactic, poetic, narrative, apocalyptic, proverbial, and epical sections together are to make up the tapestry of our teaching. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. How do we train other people in following Jesus Christ? How do we disciple those? We get into the Word of God. That's where it begins. It's not some program we have to have. It's not some steps that we have to take. It's diving into the Word of God. That's where discipleship happens. Second, it's profitable for discipline. Paul says it's profitable for reproof and for correction. Correction comes from the Greek word for straight. Which I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It straightens us out. God's word is useful in a practical way. Those who accept its reproof will begin to find their lives straightening out. It's profitable for development. And for training in righteousness. The righteousness that has come to the believer by faith is actualized by the training of God's Word. This instructs us in what we are to do. Not only is there a great story in all of this, but it instructs us in the midst of that story. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the Word. And not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Let me tell you. I fear that the church has just become a bunch of hearers of the Word of God. And I don't think we're doing a lot of The Word of God This revelation. This was God's Word to us. God speaking directly to us. Finding His people. Sending His prophets. Looking into the heart and the mind of these authors. And His Spirit guiding the hand as they wrote. revelation it's an amazing story with a message guys listen it's a riveting story front to back i would challenge you if you haven't take a challenge like the one-year reading plan read the bible in a year take the three-year plan read it in over the course of three years You would be amazed from front to back the development that happens in this book. You'd be amazed as you sit down to read it, as you begin to follow through all of what is happening, and how excited you become. But Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, he lives a perfect life, and he dies. Why? For the sin of the world. Only so that when he got in the grave, he would spend three days dead as we are to come to new life. And he would have a man called Peter, and he said, On Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And, and the New Testament church was birthed. And we begin to see in books like Timothy and like Titus the development of the church, the instruction. That is good for reproof, for correction, for teaching. We begin to see that, and then all of a sudden we come to this climactic end where it seems as if all hope is lost and the end of the world is imminent. And all of a sudden, in Revelation 14, there he is on a white horse with a name tattooed on him that nobody could say, with a white robe dripped in blood, riding back to conquer sin and evil and death and hell and take his people home. Let me tell you, church, from front to back, it's a riveting book. And it's an exciting one. But the greatest part of it is that it's redemptive. You might be here today, and I want to tell you this. According to this book, you and I are sinners. And sinners cannot be in the presence of God. And we deserve a sinner's hell To spend eternity separated from Him. There's nothing you or I could do. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before Him. There is no perfect person in this world. But God did send one. And His name was Jesus, and we know that by His death on the cross, because He was the perfect one, the spotless Lamb, we know that He would die for the sins of the world. So that you and I would have an opportunity to believe in our hearts that God would raise Him from the dead and confess with our mouth that He is Lord. That when He draws us, that we come to Him. And we give our life to Him, and we give our all to Him. That He takes that which was unholy and He makes it holy. He takes that which was unclean and makes it clean. He takes you and I who were sinners. Dead in our sin. And He makes us heirs with Christ. The Bible, of, the, 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 Bible the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, the reason we believe it, the reason we hold to the doctrines we find in it, Is because of the redemptive work of Christ. Because without believing that this is what it is, we have nothing to stand on. Sound doctrine begins here, and we must believe that it ends here. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What have you done with the Word of God lately? As a word of challenge to you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you, what have you done with the Word of God lately? Have you spent much time in it? According to the, the survey at the beginning of the message, do, are, are you one of the ones that it maybe gets in it at least once a week? I would encourage you, dive in. Set aside time every day. I'm not talking about a push notification from an app that says, here's your verse of the day, guys. I'm talking about opening the Word of God and reading it. And asking Him to show you what He wants to teach you. How He wants to correct you in it. Are you spending time in the Word? I know there may be somebody here that Maybe you don't spend a lot of time in the Word. Maybe you spend a lot of time in the Word, but you don't necessarily believe all that it says. I would challenge you. Would you ask God to show you the truth of it all? He will. Maybe you're here and you say, DJ, that all sounds fantastic. But why would I even? Why would I grab a Bible and read it? Is there anything in there for me? I want to tell you there's a lot in there for you. There's things that will help in in your relationships. Dads, moms, you need this Word. We need this Word. Husbands, wives, you need this Word. Grandparents lots of stuff in here for you children teenagers this should be everything to you right now there's something in there for you lastly maybe you're here and you don't know jesus you don't know the jesus that's talked about in this book i want to tell you that he wants to know you That you and I dead in our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for that sin. So that at the Spirit's drawing, when He calls us, that we would step into relationship with Him, maybe calling you today, do not say no. Come and receive. The blessing of His Word. Life eternal. Relationship with Him. As they play and sing, every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to pray right there where you are. Lost person, If you want to come know Jesus, you come take this preacher by the hand. Let's spend some time in prayer asking God to show us where we've missed His Word. Show us where we need to get in His Word more. Father God, we pray that You would speak to us. We pray that You would be honored and glorified in this moment. God, that we would cling to your word that we would understand its relevance its, its life blood in our lives God. God I pray that you would challenge us those of us who, who have maybe not been in it like we should I pray that you would challenge us help us God I pray for those that don't know you and in this short moment of invitation that they would step out step into a relationship with you. As they sing, you continue in prayer.